Welcome to another episode of the Ska Dads Podcast. We're at episode number 20. Can you believe it? We've made it this far. Holy shit. What happened is an idea sitting around the table drinking beer in my backyard is now 20 episodes in. Yeah. And it took us. Think about how many beers you've drank in all those uh, 19 previous episodes. I don't want to think about it. Actually, I missed two, so it's only 17. <laughs> but I'm drinking wild. Uh, By the yeah, way, man, uh, also my introduction song. I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, that's a great oh, yeah. one. Yeah. And the reason we played uh, the Checker Cabs, uh, that was their classic Darling Boy. The reason we played that was because we were interviewing a former member of the Checker Cabs uh, on this episode, Mr. Eddie McIntosh. And uh, yeah, Eddie, Eddie's not only played in the Checker Cabs, he started off with a band from Baltimore in the early, early, early days of the 90s ska scene called the Preschoolers. And they were from the Towson Glen Arm area. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's, there was like a, a, a sort of a big scene around there, wasn't there? Like, um, I know there's, what is this guy's name? I can't remember, but he puts out, he put out this whole weird series of, uh, just they're like demos and stuff of bands that were coming out of that area and some of it's like psychedelic and some of it is just weird um but it's, it's super interesting that whole scene because they were all pretty young right yeah and and actually that's we play some tracks uh from from those compilations um some really early like basement demos of of the preschoolers on this episode mike so you're gonna have to listen to it oh <laughs> uh, but I'm already investing so much time into this. Like, I guess. All right. Too bad. Twist my arm. Yeah, yeah and, and we'll post a link on the episode of the Glen Arm. Um, it's it's called the Glen Arm, like punk scene, whatever. I'll post a link to that blog if anyone wants to check out any of those demos. But it, it is a lot of like 
punk bands, metal bands, and the preschoolers are like the only ska band on the um, on the compilations. But it's still kind of nice to hear like that whole community. Uh, they were they were the blog is really in depth and detailed with like photos from people's basements. Basement shows, flyers, it's, it's a lot of cool stuff there. So. Yeah, it's it's this guy. He also I knew I I originally knew him knew him as Human Host, which was like when I was at in art school there in the early two thousands. That was like the music thing that he was doing, um, kind of like you know one of that that like copycat warehouse kind of stuff. Um, but <clears throat> I then learned later that he was part of that whole thing. And all those guy guys and knew him and. He was putting together these compilations, so it's like, I guess, you know, you have a direct line into the whole scene right there. For those um, that don't know, where is Glenn Arms? Uh, Towson. That's why I said, oh, I, okay. I, I consider Towson, like, yeah, I think it's like a community in Towson, I would say, of Glen Arms. And for those not familiar with Towson, this is like a little, yeah, this is like a little town that sits just north suburb. of Baltimore. It is a suburb. It is like your classic college. It's like 90% university and then like 10% super suburban house. It's, it's a quarter mile. Yeah, there's, there's a space. But, the, but it's also <laughs> a very big arts uh, community too because they have that art school um that's there right next to Towson University. Oh, yeah. I can't think of the name of it right now. What's the art school there? I don't know why it's, it's, oh, oh wait. Yeah. Action Pat went to school there? The art school. He used to throw shows at, at the college there. Um Action Action Pat? For, he from yeah. Rhode Island? Whoa. When was this? No, what years were these? Pat, Pat from Baltimore. Yeah, he it was, was like doing 10 years DJ ago. events no. there. Yeah, he was doing DJ events in Florida all the no, time. No, yeah, yeah. He lived in Miami for a long while. Um, yeah. He would do a thing at Gramps, actually. I think, did you go there? When you were down there, Bob? You were just in Miami. We, we did a, oh my God, we did a, a, a like a mini brewery tour. And yeah, we I fucking Gramps. told, yeah, that's yeah, what I thought, yeah, dude. Was, I could have sworn. Gramps yeah, is no, really cool. I'm just going to yeah. randomly ask you if you've been to places in Miami. Oh, man, dude, have you been to like El Rey de las Fritas? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Actually, I told you to go there, too. I bet you did. Yeah. yeah well, we, we, only, we, only had, we only had a day. We, we did a pretty exclusive uh, beer tour around the arts district and it's pretty cool oh it's exclusive yeah well well, we just stumbled upon different places and talked to the people working at some breweries and they're like oh check out this place oh this pop-up's happening here go to here go to here and and then we ended up we walked by gramson and uh mary beth said oh this is i want to go in here and we went in there and had a couple drinks so it was pretty cool yeah i've been uh, doing a very exclusive beer uh, tour in baltimore for the past 20 years <laughs> it's been a good time. Mm-hmm. Where are some of the places? Where are some of the places you went? Uh, let's, let's see. We got the auto bar, sidebar, bar, sidebar. Metro gallery. Does every place have bar. Yeah. <laughs> Metro gallery has gallery in it, so it's fancy. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get they wine there. The yeah. yep. Yep. They serve wine. They also sell well, anyway, grape juice I- there, so. Wait, what? Booty what is juice? booty juice? It's what like booty vodka juice? and Gatorade. Is that a Baltimore thing? No, it's just... What? 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 So during, Gatorade? During art skate, when they block everything off, the Metro Gallery sells booty juice, which is pretty much just like vodka and Gatorade, and it hydrates and keeps it fucked up. Wow, it that's actually like pretty brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but whatever we, the we Gatorade does... Uh, Mr. Pat Martin for that. I don't think yeah, it works that way. I don't. 
I don't think it works that way. You know what? I don't. I don't bet for science. I trust in science. Electrolytes. Oh my god. Electrolytes. I mean, I don't know enough about it to dispute it, but. Anyways, I, I, I do want to hype up this episode. I think this is a really solid episode, uh, a really great interview from Eddie. He's kind of a, a renaissance man in the Baltimore scene. Like He not only plays and writes great music, um, he kind of talks about his early ska past and then kind of how that's influenced him with kind of like the contemporary like solo stuff he's doing now and kind of spent a lot of years in the, playing in like traditional rockabilly bands and kind of his experience starting out with the ska scene kind of made him into the person he is today so i think this is you know if you want to learn more about the preschoolers early baltimore ska early dc ska then this episode is gonna tickle you <laughs> it's gonna tickle your fancy I don't man you like car- yeah you're like if you meet this really strict criteria uh the niche um, this zero, is zero, perfect zero, for you. Zero, zero. That's like every zero, zero, one percent of people in the United States. You'll appreciate this episode. The that's, two that's listeners. What makes this podcast, uh, that's what makes this podcast. It's we're, we're like in a niche genre. It's like genre it's it's Tedford and Tedford. That's it. That's our listeners right there. Tedford's, yeah, Tedford's an awesome. Is a, is a great fan of our show. Right, There's he's probably a listener. Worker. There's probably like one guy from like Japan know that knows everything about like Taos and Ska. And he's like, he's been waiting for <laughs> this the episode's album. for you, though. Yeah. This episode's for him. We're dedicating it to our, our fan somewhere in this somewhere in this world. We don't know where. And for exactly. that one guy, I do have the Preschoolers 45 for sale on Discogs. $3,000. Make an offer. Right? Yeah, $3,000. <laughs> but how many copies? Oh, wow. Yeah, that we need the official Ska Dad's uh, Discogs page. We're going to start selling stuff. For, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, that's a good idea. I just want to get stickers. You can just sell our yeah, just sell our all of our stuff, whatever we feel like getting rid of. Yeah, I just I just want to sell some yeah. of my records. The Ska <laughs> Dad's yard sale. <laughs> Let's just rob Brian's house right now. <laughs> Bob, I'll meet you there in 20 minutes. Actually, that sounds like a fine... It's going to take Mike a little bit longer. Can I take you? Yeah, it's like, it's like 12 minutes from me. Dude, well, you can take Ryan by yourself. Yeah, I can take Ryan by myself. I'll just call Rob ahead of time. Be like, Rob, <laughs> get the back door open for me. I'm like, dude, are we like robbing my house right now? <laughs> <laughs> also, I just walk in the back door. Hey, Ryan. But yeah, we we have some big things planned for this year. We're almost we're approaching our close to one year anniversary of, of the podcast. Do we know when that actually is? I mean, we can look it up. It's, it's on the internet. <laughs> the first in, the first episode was published in February in the middle of the oh, month. Oh, nice! Yeah. Oh, that was the one where it was a college show, right? Well, so is that is that considered? Like, oh, yeah. is that considered the first episode? Yeah, I don't know if that or... counts though, because that was terrible. I mean, ha- have they gotten better? <laughs> so, touche, touche. Right, right. No, no. The the first episode I think was when Ryan and I. It was just Ryan and I. So somehow the show has grown into four people. It started out as two, right? Yeah. It's like an infection, dude. Well, it's kind of funny. So when Bob and I were talking about doing this show, I was thinking of like, hey, let's do like the Ken Burns of ska music. Uh, the idea of like just going really deep, knowledgeable like information, 
and uh, it's totally turned out to be a completely different. Yeah, you you were going for NPR, and instead you got like uh, like really really, I don't know, like this knockoff Howard Stern, <laughs> yeah. <or> Scott. <laughs> Which I can say is a lot more fun though to do. And none of those things happen though. This is still terrible. I don't know why people listen. To this. I don't know why I listen to this. This is like you this is how I talk to my wife. <laughs> he needs he needs some material for his uh, Thursday night Zoom session. So he's like, "Look, guys, I have a podcast. Yeah. Oh. Let me talk to you guys about what I talked about. <laughs> listen to this shit. That's some hating ass shit right there, man." Well, anyway, I, I think this episode's gonna. Um, I, I learned a lot about Eddie and about from the Checker Cabs and preschoolers I didn't know. Um, and we have some other stuff coming up. I think we have some other big interviews coming up and some other shows coming in the near future that I think is going to make some of some of our listenership happy. So we have some good stuff planned. On that note, uh, I'm ready yeah. to get uh, enlightened. Hi guys! Oh, I'm gonna turn you down a little bit, but uh, yeah, welcome AJ. And uh, we have a special guest uh, today. We're joined by Eddie McIntosh. Uh, welcome, Eddie. How you doing? Hey guys, good. How about yourself? Good, good. We just played um, one of your um, latest like solo tracks. It's called Highland Temper. Um, uh, no, honestly, uh, you know, some solo stuff that I did during uh, lockdown last year and. Um, I was hoping to be playing out, but uh, I'm working on a uh, quarantine box set now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, I guess one of the things uh, I, I think that you and I and AJ and all of us have in common we all started uh, we all started doing podcasts over over this quarantine the last like couple of years, right? Like, sure, yeah, yeah. I've, I've listened to a couple episodes and I really like it. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's called the Bruto Boy Podcast, and and you actually use Anchor to host your podcast, like we do as well. So. Yeah. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit, like, what prompted you to start this besides the quarantine? Uh. Yeah, yeah. Um, mostly, uh, uh, you know, a buddy of mine, Zach Sweeney, who is a, a really sort of fantastic roots guitar player, him and I had talked about doing that, uh, something, you know, with a, a sort of music-based podcast for a while. Um, but I wanted to kind of do something from, like, the minor league perspective of musicians and artists, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh 
us day job guys that still have stuff and you know we're kind of told you can't make a living uh, doing this stuff but you know we're still doing this stuff <laughs> uh so yeah just you know having so many stories through the years uh being around people that have uh, gone on to pursue things and make it big um uh, but you know still grinding out a living doing art and music um you know there's so many cool stories and uh you know, not being able to sort of have a drink in the bar and talk a bunch of shit with people, I was like, you know, this might be a good opportunity to uh, talk to a completely captive audience without boring my wife to death by hearing stories, uh, you know, for the last 20 years of uh, doing this shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Well, you know, like, uh, there was a story that was just kind of, like, leaked today. It was all these documents about, uh, from, like, Bob Marley uh, when he came mm-hmm. to the United States, and one of the questions that they asked him was, are you a professional musician? And, right. and his response was, I'm amateur. And this was like in 19... I, this was in like 1964, 65, when he moved. It was 65-ish, sure, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, anyway, I, I thought your response there, I kind of like echoed something, you know, like, you know, what, what's a pro musician anyway? Like, right? Like, if you're making art, making something you love, uh, which, which you definitely have been a part of that for years. Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, God, that's uh, crazy to even be in the same sentence on this level with something Bob Marley said in '64. Uh, you know, yeah, no, it it is it is true. It's um, you know, like anything else. I think you can make a job out of things that you love, but um, you know, if you would have told me years and years ago that I'd be surviving and doing well doing things I loved, fuck that, man. I figured I'd be you know in a warehouse by now somewhere, you know. Uh, <laughs> Thank, thank God for uh, not having any real skills. <laughs> <laughs> well, w- one of the things, too, like your show definitely is kind of, it mixes a lot. It's not just about music. I think it's about art and like yeah. aesthetic things as well. Because, I mean, in your side, your side thing is also you do tattoos. We even have an episode about like street art that I, I listened to that today. And I was kind of yeah. like blown away by like you know your story and, and I don't know if you want to share some of that background or some of that like your your experience as a tattoo artist and your interest in art. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, being a tattoo artist, um, you know, obviously that being uh, being able to pursue a job in art, you know, my, that's honestly that's my full time thing. You know, uh, I don't know how anybody ever dabbles in that stuff as a hobby. You know, it's pretty much all consuming. Um, but yeah, just being able to make a living uh, doing art, and there's a certain amount of crossover from being involved in the music scene and subcultures and whatnot that I think you know you find a lot of guys that kind of came up with uh, with me that are making some sort of living in the in the art scene, particularly with with tattooing, because you still have kind of a root in the the subculture stuff that we all grew up in. There's still a certain amount of there's an element to that, you know, that obviously exists, and especially you know through or rockabilly or whatever there's more of that element in the traditional stuff which has always been my favorite stuff as well anyway um that was the first time i was ever seeing tattoo art that was really rooted in traditional stuff was in the ska scene in the rockabilly scene you know seeing like skins with you know really traditional bold line boots spirit of 69 tattoos seeing rockabilly guys with the old school stuff that was the first time i'd ever seen any of that you know so i can definitely attribute all that stuff to uh having a musical youth you know yeah yeah that's interesting like so i was thinking today like i don't know if you've seen this show um it's it's called painting with john it's a it's this guy john no, john lurry like he used to do a fishing show too but he's a music okay. he's a musician 
Uh, he was in that band, The Lounge Lizards. Um, okay. And okay. he was, and also an actor. He was in Down by Law, Mystery Train, Stranger, Strange, Strangers in Paradise. Um, kind of like those okay. indie actor. Um, but I guess his biggest claim to fame was he wrote Conan O'Brien's uh, theme song with that Lounge Lizards band, uh, which oh, he does cool. with his brother. But um, but anyway, he does his painting show and he he's like painting while he's talking to to the camera and. In some ways, it reminded me a little bit of your show because you're, you're like, oh, you're, cool. you're like sometimes in some episodes you're playing the guitar, you're talking about things, yeah, yeah. you're kind of like doing away that kind of that symmetry of, of just art and like in the experience of it kind of connected your podcast with that show. I was like, oh, this is kind of similar. Oh, cool, man! I'll have to check it out. No, I honestly didn't know about it, but uh, yeah, I'll have to check that out for sure. Yeah. So I guess well, I, I guess one of the reasons we asked you to come on to today's show is to kind of talk about. You know, you, you kind of have a lot of connections to the ska scene um, sure, yeah. from the past. Um, and, you know, there's a book. I, I don't know if you keep up with the current ska scene at all of, like, different things that are released. A, a little bit. A little bit here and there, for sure, yeah. yeah. Last year, there was a book that was called In Defense of Ska. Like, there's been a lot of people publishing books in the last couple of years. I heard about it. I haven't checked it out, but uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely heard about yeah, it. Yeah, and well, the book itself is—I think it's a little contrite because it's like a one-sided plea to kind of like legitimate, legitimize like ska, the, the music genre. But the first couple, oh, okay. the first couple chapters has these like small stories and vignettes and press clippings about famous artists. Some of them are musicians, some of them are actors that right. are like kind of publicly shamed on social media for being in a ska band. Oh, and and I, I well, I was just saying, it's like everyone. I guess the whole point of it was like everyone has a checkered past. So I was thinking, like sure. this episode is kind of like <laughs> you know you coming into your checkered past. So if if you want to start sure. with like how did you get into ska? Yeah, um, you know, growing up, uh, a, a lot of my friends were really uh, political, and I'd say sort of like adjacent to the the punk rock scene. You know, like in the early '90s and mid '90s. Um, you know, a lot of us were, were young and kind of around bands. You know, I think the first ska stuff I heard was probably like like a Fishbone song or something like that. You know what I mean? It wasn't like this really cool story where you're like, oh, you know, I've got this great Studio One vinyl and bought... You know, it was never cool. Like, it was like this weird, like, okay, what the fuck is that? And then you dig deeper and uh, kind of learn more. And I think it was sort of through the punk scene and through sort of getting into, um, you know, maybe the class that you start reading and learning about the specials and two-tone and then from there realizing like oh shit like you know i really want to hear this jamaican stuff and you know going from a kid that was kind of turned on to you know that way um uh and i think the first real uh there was a double cd called stretching out by the scottalites and I, I had a friend that had that and it was like the you know the fold out like the big crazy like it's a CD, but you need to like clear the fucking room before you open it up to like have both CDs out. You know, I think that was the first like real, like true, like instrumental Jamaican ska stuff that I'd heard. And then from there, uh, you know, kind of dug deeper and deeper and deeper. But um, yeah, I, I'd say like I kind of got into uh, ska through, yeah, sort of adjacently through the punk scene, um, you know, through. Then, you know, from like the class to reading more about two-tone and from two-tone digging back and, you know, you really get into like the root stuff, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you think was, uh, 
when did you want to play Scott? Like, did that happen? Like, were, were you a musician? Like, into were you in a punk band first, or did it? Um, I I really wasn't. You know, I was probably like thirteen or fourteen. Like, I was talking about when um with the other day when the lockdown happened. Uh, you know, the the first time it was the first time. I, it was the longest I've gone without playing music since I was fourteen years old. The longest I've been without wow. playing in public since I was fourteen. Um. Yeah, the the preschoolers, I think we started when we were about 14 or 15, and we were kind of like, all had some sort of background in the school band or something like that. But we really weren't musicians that were learning a genre as much as we were kids in the subculture, like, you know, root boy skinheads, mods, whatever, that were wanting to start a band. So I wouldn't say we came at it as musicians. We came at it more as kids within the subcultures and the scenes that were like, you know, I want to do this band and then kind of learn to become musicians through that, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Do you have something, AJ? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so I, I just wanted to, um, I, I guess with the preschoolers, there's not really much known about them. Like, like I, I, sure. I think the biggest thing was kind of like a record that was that was on uh, Reptilian Records. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I guess, um, and you told us a little bit how, how, how that band came together, but how was how was like you guys were all kind of in the Towson area? How was mm -hmm. how was that scene? And and you definitely mentioned the politics, but um, how was that scene back then? Like I, I guess it would be like the early '90s ish, right? Yeah, um, I, honestly, I, I, there wasn't really that strong of a scene in Baltimore, which is why we sort of gravitated towards the DC scene. Um, you know, I, I don't. There was a couple other bands that were kind of doing. They had some ska songs or whatever, you know. Like we were one of the only bands that I was aware of that really was doing the the full time thing. Later, you know, there were more bands, obviously, but we kind of uh, hooked up more with the, the DC folks, which is how you know a couple of us ended up being in the Checkered Cabs later on, and so on and so on. Um, but really, to play, you know, like shows like uh, the Fifteen Minutes Club and you know the Old Black Hat and all those places, DC was really where it was at back then. Um, you know, anything we played up in, in Baltimore, Baltimore County, Towson, any of those things were more like house punk shows and basically take whatever we could get. We did a lot of political benefits. Like, as I said, we came up in a pretty political scene here. Um, like, you sent me a link to the Towson Glenarm freakouts thing. Um, that's pretty detailed with, yeah. uh, with sort of how we, how we came up. You know, we were like the, the sort of oddballs that had a sort of genre-specific thing back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were pretty intrinsically linked to, uh, you know, to left-wing politics for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, like like one of the flyers. I don't know if it's the one I sent you, but it was like a free, mm -hmm. a free Mumia um, benefit concert that you guys had organized. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think too, one of the things in the blog it talked about um, how um, just political, like how how the band formed due to going like to some like political youth march or something in DC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, not even close to as politically involved, to be fair, uh, as the rest of the guys were at the time. Since then, I've kind of uh, you know become a lot more aware of things. But you know, back then it was kind. Of, I learned about so many things from the other guys that were really, really heavily politically involved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's where 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 it was for sure. Any sort of benefits we could take, and being exposed to causes I you know I was unaware of, and I think that sort of thing um, really made sense in the context of like you know what the two tone bands had done and whatnot. I was like, okay, like 
you know, doing that sort of uh, take on Sky being politically linked wasn't that crazy of a concept. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and too like like a lot of those those bands too that had that connection to like two tone. The politics mm-hmm. went hand in hand with the music, and and yeah, some... I think that's why it never. Yeah, I think that's why it never felt that odd to do. You know what I mean? It was kind of like being exposed to a. Uh, some pretty heavy stuff as like a 14 year old. <laughs> but sometimes that, in some ways, that kind of shapes who you are as a person. Even though you, you know, you change and develop and get into different things, it kind of sets yeah. the tone and, and, and built that foundation for you, like as as a musician and as a person. Absolutely. You, you know, so. Um, Absolutely. Well, how, how about talking about like how did how did the whole um, Reptilian Records 45 like come about? Um, so we had we had played uh, a whole lot, obviously, you know, like uh, with with the DC bands, with the Checkered Cabs and whatnot. And Chris X at Reptilian had done their first forty-five, the uh, Heathcliff Eight uh, record. Um, and I guess at that time we were one of the better-known Baltimore bands at that time. Uh, and he offered us a, a you know a, a record deal um, through Reptilian, which you know if you're from Baltimore, that was as cool as it got back then, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, we went down to record, I think that the band, uh, the Jesus Lizard was in there the same time as us or something. It's really weird how that all pans out. Uh, and yeah, we, we did the record and, uh, you know, and Chris put it out and, um, it wasn't long after the record came out that, you know, the band had sort of parted ways, you know, um, like myself, uh, I joined the Checkered Cabs by, you know, not long after that record came out, yeah. uh, and so did you know dave ended up uh playing guitar with the cabs you know later too so yeah 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 and and i guess too of uh, i like like you were saying too reptilian records like I, when i was getting into into punk rock that was like uh-huh. the place to go in like fell's point and oh yeah and chris man. x you know his store it was there for ages um and it it really helped you know, foster the Baltimore like punk scene for years and years and years, and just that label. Yeah, just a different like looking. I was looking on Discogs today at all the different like releases from Reptilian, and yeah. talk about like diverse. They have you you know you have some like grindcore, you have metal, you have hardcore, yeah, and then and then you have the upper crust, yeah, and then and then you have like you know six or seven like ska forty fives that were also yeah. like released. Yeah. Like you can't get much like polar opposites in some ways, and in, in musically at least in terms. In terms of that, and I, I remember going to Reptilian and just like they were the only store that I knew that had like a legitimate like ska section, and I found like so much cool stuff there from like Derek Morgan to like all the two tone stuff and just yeah, records, man. tapes, CDs, anything, anything you wanted. And that yeah, that's one of the reasons I think it's so funny when you when you hear something like um, you know the in defense of ska thing like you were talking about earlier. I don't think people realize that like. The ska scene then was hard as fuck, man. There were fights all the time. There were, like, Nazis showing up. Like, this is, you know, it, it's not like this mozzarella sticks and trumpets shit, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, true. and I point that out very often on our episodes. The scene that we grew up in is yeah. night and day to what's around today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if no you talk about it. something like the Black Cat ride, like, I was on stage for that. I had glass in my face after that, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, a you know, a birthday party at Skateland, you know? <laughs> Well, well, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk about, like, the Checker Cabs. So you mentioned a little bit, like, you, you played with them after the Preschoolers ended. Were, yeah. were you, were you, the Preschoolers also had this song, Huey Newton, on, like, the first yeah. Roots and Branch, Roots, yeah, Branches, on, uh, and Stems, right, on Stubborn? Yeah, Root, Branch, and Stem on uh, on Stubborn, yeah. 
How did um did you guys know Django at the time or? No, uh, somebody had gotten a hold of uh, of Bob Fair, who was our guitar player. He was predominant, sort of the the primary songwriter. Um, and you know, this is back when the in, the infancy of any sort of internet contact. So it was probably somebody had probably sent a letter to like one of our mother's homes or something. You know what I mean? It was that kind yeah. of like operation then. Uh, and yeah, asked us to uh, to submit a song for it and. Um, yeah, you know, we did, I mean, just going back to the political thing, like, you know, it was like 14 or 15 with an instrumental song about, you know, Huey Newton of the Black Panthers, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I said, I was I was kind of the, the learning guy as far as the politics goes. The yeah. other guys, Dave and Bob, uh, you know, and Chris Terrett, like those guys were much more involved. And you, and you played um, and you played mainly sax, but you did, the preschoolers, like the, the 45 we were talking about, it has Angelo yeah. on it, which you, you sing lead on. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I sang and played uh, alto and tenor. Um, yeah, kind of, uh, that was sort of inspired by, you know, playing a couple of times with the scofflaws. And I was like, you can sing and play a saxophone? That's fucking crazy, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of how that do you, <laughs> do you remember, what? when did you guys play with the scofflaws? Do you remember when, when and where that was? Um, at the, maybe, I think it was maybe the 8x10 in Baltimore. Um, and then a couple bills, uh, I think a couple bigger shows in New York over the years where there was probably five or six bands, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the, one of those kind of deals. What's, uh, what's amazing yeah. is they're still playing. They were just in DC, I think like, yeah, yeah. It's all with, uh, with the fuss. Yeah. I was trying to get down to that. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't able to make it, but they, I follow them on Instagram and I think, I, yeah. I think it's one of the guys is, um, girlfriends or wives or someone she she seems to post all whenever they play a show they almost have a video they post on instagram like right oh, right cool. after the gig so um nice. yeah so i've seen a couple of their videos i'm like man there's it's amazing they're still playing of course some different people in the band um yeah sure because a lot a lot of them went on to play in other bands and do different things uh some of the, sure. some of those are the original lineup at least so like Victor Rice and all, all those Buford. Oh yeah, yeah. Even Mike. He's in Brazil or something now, right? Yeah, like, he's like a big time producer. He doesn't. I mean, like, yeah, no. He's, his dub stuff's like amazing that he does, uh, and almost yeah, he's kind of like yeah. a go-to guy. But um, yeah, I, I we got a little off track, but yeah, why don't you tell us? Um, you mentioned the Checker Cabs, and what do you remember? What year you joined them? Um, it was probably like ninety-five or ninety-six, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh. Like John John, who was the original sax player, he had left, and um, yeah, I think they'd asked me to if I wanted to sit in a show or two, and it ended up just being that kind of thing where you know it became pretty regular, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm on that record. It's funny, I'm actually not credited, but like uh, "Walk Right In," that solo, that sax solo was mine. Like I'm playing through most of the record. The band actually had a bunch of changes while recording that record. Yeah, uh, which is crazy, you know. Um, you know, Chris Bolton, uh, Melvis, like, was originally playing on most of that. That guy is probably the most underrated ska bass player, I think, like, in modern ska stuff, like, ever. That dude wrote, like, monster <laughs> hooks, like, just straight-up Motown stuff, and, like, nobody talks about it. That guy was amazing. He, uh, uh, he, pl yeah, he was, played was... in the first version of The Fuss, I think. Um, okay. Uh, AJ, I don't know if you remember what they were called before The Fuss. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on it right now. Yeah. I think yeah, he's... Man. Yeah, I, I, I'm friends with him on social media, so but I think okay. he's out of the country. I don't think he's. Was it the Shifters? No, it was it was a band. It was in between both of those bands. So, but um, it'll yeah. come to me. 
Yeah, Melvis. Melvis was. Uh, I I never saw. I to be honest, I don't think I saw the cabs because I was I was getting into ska like I think right at the end of. Okay. I think I missed the preschoolers completely. You know, like I don't think okay. I ever saw yeah, you yeah. guys, but um, had had the record definitely. Um, and kind of, cause I, I was starting to go to shows in like 97, 98. Okay. Okay. So, cool, cool. um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm sure it was crazy for you to play with the Checker Cows because, you know, at that time you guys were probably opening up for them and they were, yeah, they were one of my, honestly, one of my favorite bands. So it was, uh, it was kind of surreal to, you know, to be in the band and then go on tour and like open for the, you know, we opened for the Boston's for a little bit up and down the East coast wow. and like. Uh, yeah, it was great. And this is like right out of high school. Like first real job was like you know trying to make a go at, at that. So yeah, it was it was totally surreal. Yeah, that was awesome. You had the opportunity to do that. Um, what and and the cabs too? They were kind of like this. They were in that awesome position, and you know they had that record contract that you you said you recorded a little bit on on that record. They really eventually yeah. released Old Moon, but I know it took. It was a lot of trial and tribulations for them to get that released, right? Yeah, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, you, you, all the stuff that happened in between there. You had member changes. You had the, you know, the incident at the, at the Black Cat. Which why don't you, Why don't you talk great. about that? Because I, I've talked to a few people that that were there, and I know like some of the yeah. repercussions of things after that. But um, if if you wouldn't mind, like, digging into that a little bit. Yeah, I would love oh, to yeah, hear your know. side of this. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Oh yeah, I'll give you the on stage perspective. Sure. <laughs> Um, so basically, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really too concerned with the, the, the statute of limitations. <laughs> uh, no, so basically, you know, to, to my knowledge, what had happened, um, is, you know, during the, during the little tour that, that we did with, uh, where we opened for the Boston's, we're up and down the East coast and one of the members, uh, had their own personal vehicle on tour so two cars you guys know how when you're not making a lot of money you're you know driving your own car or whatever yeah. uh and i think you know he hit a two by four or something in the middle of the road and there was some damage done to his car uh he ended up leaving the band and then being sort of like there was a discrepancy with band members and him over whether or not his car should be paid for that's my understanding of how this went down um he was a member of sort of a big uh Skinhead Click from DC. I'm sure you guys probably are familiar with some of them. Yeah, and uh, while we're playing, uh, I swear I heard something like, not Eddie. And I was like, okay, what the fuck was that? That doesn't sound good. And then bubbles start whipping up on stage, and basically it was, it was, to my knowledge, about him feeling like he was owed money to pay for his car, and uh, his crew decided to you know, throw some bottles and start some shit, and, uh, you know, next thing I know, there's bottles breaking everywhere, there's a fragment of fucking Budweiser bottle in my fucking lip, you know, from a, a, a shattered bottle, uh, you know, Dave, who was one of my best friends, he, you know, long since passed away, he's got a knife out on stage, nicest guy in the world, honestly, it'd be like if one of you guys just whipped a fucking blade out, and it's like, whoa, okay, when you know shit serious, you know what I mean, I'm <laughs> like, that guy is, like, involved in it now. Um, and, you know, Ian, uh, DJ, I don't remember what his name was, but Ian, who put on all the scout shows back in the day at the Black Cat, is, like, panicking. There's people running everywhere. It, it, it was a, a fucking madhouse. And as far as I know, that kind of, like, ended scout shows there for, like, a really long time because of this violent reputation, which, you know, when you're hearing people talk about in defense of ska, like, fuck off, man. Like, that shit was crazy, you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't have that happen at, like, a pop-punk show, you know? Like, so, 
yeah, that was that was kind of my perspective on uh, on what happened. There. As far as I know, that's that's the deal. So we had to stop playing sort of mid-song and you know go off stage while this total chaos happened in the in the crowd there. And these were big shows, man. Like there were you know probably like six, seven hundred people sometimes at these shows back then. Like people don't realize what the draw was for like a good ska show like you know around that time period uh there was a i think i can't remember what state it was but we were on tour or we played a show somewhere and de la soul was playing down the street and we out drew de la soul (laughs) which is like that's like what shit was like in the 90s that's insane yeah damn yeah um but yeah that was that was pretty much the the black cat thing as far as i know that that they didn't have another ska show there for a long time so so after so okay so what did you stick around and do more stuff with the with the checker cabs after that show or was that kind of um you know yeah yeah no we definitely definitely did some more stuff um eventually uh you know i had gotten into sort of writing and and stuff and also developed a pretty like strong uh like ganglion cyst in my right hand and after a while it started really hurting to play that for more than like 20 or 30 minutes my hand would sort of cramp up and where the cyst actually sat in my hand uh, to remove it, uh, the doctor was sort of worried that we'd do some nerve damage. So I, I had to basically stop playing. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned to play, uh, you know, play rudimentary guitar, you know, which I haven't progressed nearly as much as I should. Um, but I also was really into uh, to writing. And, you know, the Checker Cabs, like, uh, definitely, I was really happy to be a passenger on that train, but that was... 100% Kaz's lyrical child, you know, like amazing singer, great writer, and I was happy to obviously watch her do her thing, um, but I had a lot of stuff I wanted to write and kind of talk about as well, so I kind of branched off, and I knew I wasn't going to do a ska thing, I'd always been kind of into like 50s root stuff, especially when I get into older ska, believe it or not, it's kind of how I get into rock, but digging into old, um, like Smiley Lewis records and all the stuff that Laurel Aiken was into, I kind of wanted to know where the roots of Boogie Woogie stuff went and adjacently kind of became in uh you know really interested in, in roots americana and that just was a good fit for me personally but uh yeah it wasn't long after that honestly i really couldn't play much if i wanted to anyway it's my hand so yeah that's a well I, I in some ways too that i don't know like so so after you leave the checker cabs um the, the next band that you were in was the Boom Cats, right? Yeah, yeah. And so and so you hooked up again with a member of the preschoolers, right? Like th- there were some. Characters. Yeah, uh, yeah, Lee, yeah. Lee Verzosa, who's actually a, a a pretty pretty talented tattoo artist as well. It's weird we both ended up in the same path. We haven't <laughs> spoken in a really long time, uh, but both ended up uh, you know in in the arts as a living. And uh, you know, of course, Joe Ross played guitar for us then. Who you know, Joe from about every band he was in the checker cabs after me and you know the pie tasters mobs on beat um you know all these bands uh so yeah joe played for, played with us for a really long time yeah yeah it's kind of interesting too like because i i knew the boom cats and i think that's the first time i met you was through boom cats playing sure. um a lot of those old old um Mobtown Beach shows, uh, and even even like those Ellicott City shows. There were some of them were at yeah, DFW yeah. Hall, some of them were at like community centers. Yeah, and, sure, sure. And you guys, and th- that was the cool thing about about that scene that that Baltimore, Ellicott City, Canesville, like scene in in like the late nineties. Um, that kind of fostered like all these bands playing together. So like you might be going, yeah, going yeah. to see like a ska band, or you might be going seeing like a punk band. But all these other bill, all these other styles and genres were kind of represented on the bill. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah I was, always thought that was cool, too, is that, like, you know, it's uh, it, it was kind of great. We used to joke about how much different that was than, say, a place like Britain, where you could have, like, five dudes that were, like, rockabilly dudes at a table with, like, a bunch of, like, mod kids and shit, and it was just kind of a good time, you know? Like, so, yeah, no, that was that was awesome, especially those old Elegant City shows. Yeah, I just think that whole scene, like everything that was happening on St. Paul Street, and there were a yeah, lot of people man, that lived that lived, um, you know, that lived in the area. But there were also people that lived in Baltimore. They were all just coming together, hanging out, and it was a lot of like skinheads, but also like mods, and there were scooters and all those shows. It had a real sense of like community, right? Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um... It, it, it's weird, man. Like, I was kind of talking about it. Uh, I talk about it time to time. But it, I don't know if that stuff still happens. You know what I mean? I'm old and removed, and I like to think that somewhere it does. But I, I don't, like... I can't remember the last time I was going anywhere and saw somebody with, like, you know, Liberty Spikes or, like, somebody with, like, like a Merc suit on. You know what I mean? I've, I've, I hope that it's not gone. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's gotten old, and none of that stuff fits anymore. It's all in the basement Yeah, closets. man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. Like, even... Uh, talking to you guys tonight i was like is this video because i have to look like i haven't been a complete piece of shit the last like month and a half yeah now. yeah we're, well, we're, we're, I, i've been yeah. yeah i've been in my house the last like two weeks uh for most of it so yeah you know yeah. i've been doing a weird facial hair thing this is, like, <laughs> yeah i see that man i like the month my wife, yeah. my wife hates it right like now she's tom, yeah. mad at me it's like a tom Selleck mustache or uh Chips, maybe too. I don't know. I can see, yeah. I can see some of that. I've been doing the progression. It was like full beard, then the Lemmy stash, then the Fu Manchu, and today's the the creepy Burt Reynolds esque mustache. No, it's a good look, man. You look like you could either own a Ferrari or steal it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the latter. Probably the latter. <laughs> well, I, yeah, the Boom Cats. I mean, they. I, I want to talk a little bit about them. They. Even though they were straight yep. ahead, like rockabilly, like you were, you were saying, you kind of dug a little bit deeper into some of the Jamaican music and found, yeah, sure. like rockabilly, but also like boogie woogie. So you guys played for probably like over, was it about a decade or so, maybe longer? Um, yeah, it's probably, uh, probably close, to, probably close to a decade. Yeah, which yeah. is so fucking crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, we kind of initially knew exactly what we wanted to do, which was be as authentically roots as possible right out of the gate. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, the rockabilly scene had sort of the, a lot of parallels as far as uh, the sound goes that ska was having sort of the late 90s where like you'd have all the sort of like ska core things. You guys sort of had the same thing with bands that were kind of doing the sort of psychobilly thing or whatever i knew that was just not my thing you know what i mean like um so we initially right out of the gate we're like okay you know we're, we're just gonna to try to do this as rootsy as possible and you know it worked out pretty well so yeah and i, I think too i almost feel like there wasn't a rockabilly scene per se but like at the end of, of your guys's run it almost you guys kind of had one built in baltimore at some point right like oh geez yeah i mean um yeah, I don't know. It's the same thing. DC kind of, honestly, as much as I hate to say that, being being a Baltimore kid, uh, DC kind of led the way on, on that stuff as well. Um, you know, you had bands like, uh, I mean, the, the Flea Bops, who were from Southern Maryland, um, who played a lot in DC. Uh, you know, Jumpin' Jupiter, all these bands that have been around forever in DC. And DC had a pretty big rockabilly scene too. I mean, DC, uh, Link Ray at one time, you know, the, uh, was playing and living in, in D.C. So D.C. always had kind of a, 
and up on that. But yeah, as far as I know, at one point, I think we were the only sort of traditional rockabilly band in, in Baltimore, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like, honestly, I can't think of, like, another, like, traditional, like, band from that era in D.C. or Baltimore. The only other bands I can think of, like, the more on the psychobilly side. Yeah, we, um, we... I don't know if we... We might have suffered for not being more like that, but I, I just... It was never in my, uh... In my writing thing, man. I, I just couldn't, you know, write songs about Cadillacs and Frankenstein all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I want to call Richie right now and just be like, oh, God, I need to hear some Richie vocals. No, Richie, yeah, Richie, Richie was good at that song. Yeah. He didn't make oh, it. Work. I, I, like, I lo- love the album that Barbers love Richie. Like that, like, I love both those guys sides were of that awesome. stuff. No, those guys are great, man, and they did it right. There's so many bands that were corny. They managed to not be corny, and for me to say that means they were good because I'm a big fan. You know what? I, I always <laughs> give props to probably one of my favorite guitarists, Alex Fine. That man does oh, yeah, wonders man. in Sky and Rockabilly and everything he touches. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, of course, Alex, another guy from you know the, the sort of scotsman that you know ended up uh, you know playing uh, you know with me, and of course, the stuff he did with the Alphabet Bombers with. Uh, Richie knows guys like those those guys are a great band man I, I, I love playing with them and it's sort of like what Bobby was saying too like I multi-genre shows man those are the most fun mm-hmm. you know like and I love playing with the Alphabet Bombers because as much as like we love doing the Roots thing it wasn't like some sort of purist prick where like no one should ever be doing anything but you know what I'm doing you know that's that's you know not like that at all those guys were so good at that stuff and like Richie's voice was so perfect for that and Alex's guitars and like Kurt and Steve those guys are fantastic guys um, but yeah Alex man like uh, I love I, what a great guy yeah. like as far as Baltimore yes. musicians go I can't think of anybody more well liked than Alex you know I, I, I would beg to differ and not just say Baltimore or DC yeah anywhere I know someone that knows Alex Fine has nothing but positive glowing reviews of that man absolutely true yeah absolutely yeah, Alex. Alex is a great human being. So, <laughs> if I yeah, could have a man it, crush, it'd be Alex. Well, yeah, we did like twenty years. It's a. Uh, it's funny you guys mentioned that. We actually uh, were talking this week. Uh, we're gonna do some. Uh, hopefully, doing some recording together soon as well. So, so yeah, I, I don't know if we, t- we. You mentioned this a little bit. So after the Boom Cats broke up, we're kind of. Yeah. I'm kind of trying to do like a narrative of like a time, a somewhat time consistent narrative. But after the Boom Cats kind of like broke up. You started another yeah. another band. It was kind of how was how are the how are the Boomin Cats and the Garnet Hearts similar or different? Um, well, the the Garnet Hearts uh, was still um, Mark Pettyjohn from uh, from the Boomin Cats I, I grew up with, um, and you know Mark kind of came up in the ska scene as well. He was a lot younger. Uh, you know, when we were in the Boomin Cats, Mark was fifteen. You know what I mean? So we were like getting in bars was insane. You know what I mean? And, and to that level, it was kind of like when I was in the preschoolers, we were 15, 16, we had to like get parents to like sign for us. It was fucking crazy, you know? Uh, but Mark was 15, 16 years old. He got on stage with the Scottalites when he was nine years old. And like, I remember uh, uh, Tommy McCook getting on the microphone and being like, the literally skinhead, you know? And like, that was, you know, Mark was That's up great. the street for me growing up. So, you know, he, he kind of got into the roots thing uh, actually independently of me. Uh, but he had called me and been like, you know, hey, do you want to start something new? And, you know, I've been writing all these fucking songs and whatever. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So we started playing and then, uh, you know, ended up uh, making it, you know, up until pandemic, been playing for 14, 15 years with the Garnet Hearts, you know. And, you know, Alex Fine was part of that as well, you know, so yeah. it's crazy. 
And, and you guys did, I, I, I feel like the Guarded Hearts, you guys did, did you do more touring than the Boom Boom Cats, or? Um, yeah, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. we, we, we honestly got on more of like the sort of weekender festivals and whatnot. I wouldn't say touring as much, but we definitely got to play some bigger shows. You know, we played uh, Viva Las Vegas, um, which, you know, if you're into the rocket league scene, is kind of like the end-all, be-all of the big weekenders. Um, and, uh, yeah, a couple of the, of the big, uh, the big shows and, you know, up and down the East Coast, uh, a lot more than I did when I was younger. Um, and also, uh, just creatively, you know, we had a little more freedom, um, as far as, uh, being older and being able to kind of do more, you know what I mean? Like we were able to like, oh, let's go take a weekend and go write songs somewhere. Versus when you're, you know, 14, you're like, dude, you know, my mom is not really on board with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's so cool. I, I it just, I, it just seems like everything like you've always done is always stayed into like, you know, you started out with the preschoolers and it just kind of has evolved with it. And like, I guess now, like you were saying, like in the beginning of the show, we played a couple solo tracks, so you're kind of doing. Sure. Like, is the solo thing kind of like your new thing that you feel like you're going to stick with for a little bit? Um, I think so. You know, it's it's weird. Like, uh, like the Garner Hearts, um, like kind of like I said, it was kind of uh, COVID kind of put a hiatus on the band kind of more than we more than we did. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. I'm going to stay kind of on a, a, a bit of a pause with that. We'll see what happens. But as far as my solo stuff goes, uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm able to uh, to write um, and uh, you know I'm, I'm you know all that stuff is is me playing everything. So during the quarantine stuff, I kind of lost my mind and built uh, a little studio that I've been working out of and playing everything myself. So uh, for better or worse, you know, it's kind of uh, forced me to really hone my my craft. And I've been really lucky. You know, I get to do some music for a show called Thespian on Amazon. I got to do a little bit of soundtrack cool. work for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, put a record out on uh, Wondertone Studios, who did a lathe-cut vinyl uh, of my stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been really cool. I mean, for the foreseeable future, uh, yeah, probably going to keep uh, keep working the solo stuff for a little while. And um, regrettably, the older I get, too, there is a part of me wants to venture outside of genres and see what happens as a... Uh, as a songwriter, but every time I try to write something, I'm just like, you know, I don't want to be that guy that's like, you know, hey, gather around, kids, and listen to this old man talk about the good old days, you know. There's a bit of scary shit to that, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, but yeah definitely going to be uh, recording and writing some more. Oh, that's great. Yeah, like, like I, I really, I, I just feel like the podcast that you've been doing is just such a, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure it's therapeutic for you, but listening, it's like having a conversation with you, and that's that's how I feel as a oh, listener, so... That. And like I really appreciate some of the stuff's like hilarious. Like the kid, like you, you did a whole like episode about patriot patriotism and music. I was going to yeah, bring that yeah, one up yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm uh, probably one of the only rockabilly guys that uh, decided to go go after the the far right on the on the podcast. As for, you know, <laughs> people I think always assume that uh, when I was coming up, anybody that was sort of into roots. Americana and Rockabilly, you sort of like assume that those guys are a little bit far to the right. The truth is, in the sort of more traditional scene, more guys are like like me than I ever thought, which is really, really cool. Um, but, you know, maybe growing up around as many politically charged people as I have 
being quiet about that shit is, is just, there's no point, man. So, yeah, I, I made an entire podcast of me just going after Kid Rock. Because if anybody listens to my podcast... <laughs> oh, dude, I'm not going to... So I'll be surprised. I was at Aldi buying fancy cheeses because that's what Scott Dads do now. And I okay. had the podcast on. And I'm just laughing out, just <laughs> fucking laughing my ass off in the middle of Aldi. Like, people are like, what the fuck's wrong with this dude? Oh, that's great, man. And just like, <laughs> like I, I, fuck, I, I'm still laughing at that shit. Like, and then your wife's comments in the background made it even better. Oh, yeah, she's uh, she's awesome. She used to uh, be uh, like, a, like an indie punk show promoter in Philly, so she's got a really great perspective. It's amazing, too. You know, Elizabeth has... Uh, she has no tattoos, was not in the rockabilly scene at all. It's a marriage made in heaven. I don't ever have to, like, have really in-depth arguments about anything, you know? Like, I'm not looking at her tattoos thinking, I would have done that differently. And she's not in the rockabilly, so I think she thinks I make, like, music for fossils or something, you know? But it's okay. Hey, at least your wife doesn't make fun of your podcast like mine does. I'm not entirely sure that she doesn't, but, you know, I... <laughs> she just doesn't do it in front of you, right? Like, Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you, uh, Eddie, about, about all your musical projects. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I was thinking we could play like one preschooler song. You could kind of give us your like perspective or what you call from that song. But um, yeah. one, of, one of the demos that I dug that I found um, on that on, oh the, on that blog website, yeah, is is a song called um, Scott Chester, right? Like, uh, mm. and there was an yeah. early, early like demo version this is from 1994 it's, it's a little bit oh, different good. yeah do you, <laughs> do you remember anything about this this song or this version of the song um i believe so yeah so uh <laughs> where we recorded uh it was at a, a friend's house and it, this is probably on a task cam or something you know what i mean like a reel-to-reel like not reel-to-reel like you know fucking maxwell cassette you know uh that's what it whatever, sounds like blue. yeah it sounds like <laughs> yeah yeah I'm sure, I'm sure it does uh played with like a top quality uh you know uh musician uh musician's friend uh special of the week instruments um the guys who recorded at the the misco brothers who uh may or may not but i think joe was a drummer then they went on to be in a band called can't hang who was like sort of like a like a pop reggae band in towson uh joe and luke uh this was recorded oh, wow. at their at their at their house, um, and Scott Chester was a kid that lived two or three doors down from them that just randomly showed up in the middle of recording this. And uh, Dave, um, who was playing trombone in this stuff, he later was uh, played guitar with the Checkered Cabs, um, one of my best friends. Sorry. Uh, yeah, he later ended up playing guitar in the Checkered Cabs. Uh, he was the one that was like. We're gonna call this song after this kid who, you know, I don't think I ever even talked to. Um, but yeah, so Scott Chester was just a random kid from that neighborhood that showed up in the middle of uh, this thing, and you know, this is a bunch of like fourteen, fifteen-year-olds uh, trying to do some instrumental ska. Yeah. To my knowledge, I don't yeah. know. I haven't listened to the nineteen ninety-four recording. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I think this was. The, we'll, we'll play both versions because both of them are mm. a little bit different. But this is the demo version. This sounds like maybe it was like a studio live cut, or you guys were in your basement recording this because it's. It definitely sounds like one of those old like band demo tapes. So. Let's yeah, see. studio live cut seems like a very generous <laughs> way to call this. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I had no idea there were lyrics involved in this. That's not me. Yeah. And that, that version is a little bit different, <laughs> right? Like that was that was from that was like a, a like a practice recording or something, right? Like I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we ever thought that that would be listened to uh, on, on a podcast or anything. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> well, that's crazy. It's it's up here on this uh, Bandcamp page of all these like towns. So crazy. Yeah, I didn't real. I I just. I was doing some research today and just kind of stumbled upon this, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this is up here and it's like out there." Which is, uh, yeah, I I know the the fellow that that put it together is uh, this guy Mike Apicella, who is one of those guys that I, I think is connected to eight million people that uh, was part of that scene. And he, he he had talked to me when he was putting this stuff together. You guys ever have that one guy that has gotten like thirty people, you know, into music growing up? Like this, the one pivot guy. Like he was that guy for us, you know. And yeah. he, he still is. He does some crazy, like uh, sort of avant-garde stuff. Um, uh, yeah, but Mike Apicella was. He probably spawned a million punk bands, a million ska bands, a million avant-garde bands. He was just that guy. And yeah, the Towson Glen Arm freakouts. Uh, it's, it's so crazy to have that part of my yeah. uh, youth preserved at <laughs> a certain point like that. Yeah. Well, it's crazy too. I mean, like, like just hearing about just talking to you briefly tonight, like all the different like scenes and you know different styles that you've gone through but it's all kind of like it's all this same like progression of like moving forward too you know at the same time that you know like like your music your influences and you know even though it started with ska it, it just has branched out but at the same time it's you still have the same like it's still the same foundation of music you, you know oh yeah absolutely man absolutely um yeah that that's that's it's a funny thing. It's a shame that you know there has to be something like an indefensive ska thing. You know, like that's ridiculous. Well, at least um, you didn't become an emo kid, so. No, you know that's that's one thing. As you know, I don't think my sensibilities changed at all. Uh, but when you think about something like, uh, I think that everything that gets big to a certain point has, like I kind of talked about earlier. Um, when we first got into stuff, we were kids in the subculture learning to be musicians. I think towards the end of the, the third wave or whatever, you had musicians that were jumping on board with whatever was popular at the time that didn't have that attachment to the scene or have any idea that, oh shit, there's Nazis at the show. Probably not if you're, you know, in your shorts and stuff, and you know, in your wallet chain is connected to your mohawk or whatever the fuck is going on at that point. You know, like you probably don't know that stuff but for us you know you lived and breathed the subculture part of it and you know that was uh really cool to to be part of so yeah i mean i guess there there is that progression of just being really really tied to the the roots of what you guys love i mean you guys are doing this podcast because you're still engrossed in it you know what i mean which is awesome sadly <laughs> no not at all man not at all Dude, you ever see that guy that used to be in the bands that you loved when you were a kid? You run into him now or something, and it's just they're they're not that anymore. Don't ever be that guy. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't. Well, what, what I'm, of, I'm a grumpy man. Yeah. What, <laughs> one of in one of our episodes too, we we talked a little bit about fashion, and I know that like you know that's changed a lot with with the pandemic and everything like that. Sure. But uh, one of my earliest memories of going to a ska show is seeing a. Uh, uh, I, I believe the preschoolers were still around, but it was like a Mobtown Beach yeah. show, and Lee was there, and he he looked yeah. like the, I didn't know who he was at the time, but he had he, he must have had like his bomber jacket on with like thirty pins, you know, like yeah, those, yeah. And, and and he just seemed like the coolest guy in the room, and 
you know, later I found <laughs> out from other people, like, I, I was like, you know, 14, 15 at the time, but found out he was like the bass player from the preschoolers, and that was such a big deal to me, oh, wow. like in like cool. 97, like in 997, that was like, this guy is so cool, and, and then, you know, like, I, I, I think, too, a lot of the stuff that, you know, that started in that Towson scene for you guys... And yeah, th that's a cool thing about about music, and that's a cool thing about punk rock. It's a cool thing about like rockabilly, and a cool thing about ska. It's like you, we've all had opportunities um, to play with people, to talk to people, to like learn about these things that we love. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Huh? And there's some universal things to that. You know, it's like you know when you go to a ska show and the person in the band that you look up to just hangs out and talks to you and you realize they're just a regular person like you or I, it just makes a, world, yeah. a world's difference. And you guys had that. And I had that experience too. When I was in a band, like when I was in a high school ska band and we were playing with the ska flaws, we were playing with like the school, yeah. Skavuvi and the epitones. They were so nice. Yeah. 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 And, and we just talked about, you know, comic books. We talked about records, all that stuff, you know? Yeah, because you guys played the you guys played you guys played Phantas. Yeah, yeah, I was in this band yeah. called the Unidentified, and we used to. Yeah, play. no, I remember, man. Yeah, 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 I remember. I was I, I saw you guys at uh, at at, uh, at Phantasmagoria. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. probably we probably played a couple shows with uh, Boom and Cats. I, I would think like back then or yeah, right on. I, I know I know too. I was also in like the Ratchet Boys, and you know the Boom right, Cats right, yeah, of course. Corner Kick a few times too. So we've yeah, uh, oh, we've yeah, intersected. Yeah, yeah, our lives and our music stuff. It's intersected like multiple times. Uh, Absolutely. So. Yeah, you're ageless, dude. You guys like both look young. I'm looking at me, and I I look like I'm your dad in this little theater. It's crazy. Like, it's because I shaved and all the white hair is gone. Oh yeah, no, the beard's out. It's it's, we're, it's we're, depressing, man. We're all, you know? we're all the same age. I I just turned forty like this year, last year. So like you know, okay. we're, we're all, all around right. the same age ish. You know. Yeah. Good. You guys are are doing it better. You know, that's good. I'm gonna have to take some notes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks. Well, thanks again, Eddie. Um, I just want to thank you for joining us tonight, and I hope you had a good time chatting with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Oh, it was a good time, man. You guys are doing a great show. It's uh, super fun to listen to. So. Awesome. Yeah, Absolutely. so, so um, real quick, you want to promote um, where can people find your podcast uh, and your solo stuff? Yeah, um, pretty much uh, basically out of uh, ease and comfort, everything is, is on Spotify for the most part. Um, you know, the, the solo stuff is Eddie McIntosh, that's E-D-D-I-E-M-A-C, capital I, N-T-O-S-H, uh, for my solo stuff. And the podcast is the Bruto Boy podcast, B-R-U-T-T-O-B-H-O-Y, um, you know, to make it as difficult as possible to find. <laughs> if you search Eddie McIntosh in either yeah. of them, it'll come up. Uh, I should be having a new one uh, uh, this week. Um and I'll probably talk about you guys a little bit as well because I really like what you're doing as well. Oh, thanks. Um, Can I also have you plug your art because your art is also oh, yeah. amazing? I have a couple pieces uh, hanging at the house. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bought the DC piece, right? Yep. I appreciate that, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, outside of, uh, you know, uh, tattooing, uh, I'm gonna, you guys care if I plug my shop as well? No, cool? go for it. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I'm tattooing uh, Tuesday through Saturday at uh, Naked Art Tattoos, which is across from the military base uh, in Odenton. Uh, Fort Meade, which is maybe like uh, like 25 minutes outside of Baltimore, um, you know. And uh, of course, I do fine art as well on the side. Uh, most of that stuff is on my Instagram, which is the Bruto Boy Instagram. B R U T T O B H O Y. Uh, I do have prints and stuff for sale. I do a lot of um, you know, sort of uh, pop art, some tattoo flash art, all kinds of stuff. Um, 
but a lot of it is is nods to uh you know our musical upbringing and subculture stuff and some political stuff as well so if you like what we're doing and thanks aj i appreciate that brother um yeah so check it out man Hey, 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 hey,